Hello everyone, my name is Andrew and I'm studying genetics and environmental science in my second year. Um, I'm going to read the Bible for us in just a minute. Uh, we here at the Christian Union love to read the Bible because we believe it's not just a book of history, but it's the true word of God. Uh, and that means that it has such great importance to everything we do in life. Today we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in the early 1st century, probably about that time. Um, I'm just going to, you can find that passage in the first page of your booklet, uh, and I'm just going to pray quickly for Tim before we read. Uh, dear God, uh, please help Tim as he preaches to us on 1 Corinthians, I pray that he would speak clearly uh, and truly from your word. Amen. So here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first roots of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. For each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, my name's Tim. It's great to be with you today. Um, and it's good to, to be part of a, a group like this as we remember Easter. Easter is a celebration. It's a remembrance of a momentous weekend. 2,000 years ago, approximately, events that happened outside Jerusalem that give hope of a better world. Now, hope is something that's often in short supply. I don't know what you're like, but a guy called Viktor Frankl, who was a psychiatrist and spent time in the Holocaust. He spent time in Auschwitz and some of the other places. He observed what happened to people under extreme pressure like that. And one of his conclusions was that without hope, people can't live. We need hope to survive. And you know that on a small scale, don't you? If you lose hope of passing one of your courses, what do you do? You just stop studying, don't you? It's not worth going to lectures, it's not worth doing assignments. If you can't pass, that's the end. But what if you can't 
see the end of life. If you lost all hope in life, that implies we stopped living and sadly that's what many people are starting to contemplate. There's a website that asks people to put their dreams and hopes uh, up on uh, the web. Let me just show you some. This is a guy called, sorry, that's Victor Frankel. This is a guy called Michael. This is his dream and hope. He said, my hope is to learn something each day that helps me grow into a better man. That'd be great. The next goal is to stay healthy. I can get better each day by telling myself I'm no longer sick. Reckon that works? The cells in my body have turned over their illnesses and disease to replace it with love and healing. You're joking. (laughs) Every cell in my body has a use-by date and his body as well. Here's Mr. Johel. He said, I kind of accomplished my hopes and dreams for the future when I wrote and published my books. That is, life's over. So my hope and dream right now is just to be a regular person for a while. Have enough resources to eat. I don't want to die. But that, like, that's no hope at all, is it? This is a little bit more like many of us, I think. Even Marie Carr. She said, my hopes and dreams are for the ideal world where there's plenty for all where love is the only law necessary, where we all have each other's backs and therefore have no need to worry about a thing. That sounds good, doesn't it? I think that's the sort of hope most of us harbour somewhere. What's not to like about that? But the question is, how do we get there? Is there any actual hope that that hope might come to reality, that dream might become my world? We all wish for a better world, but is there any basis for optimism as we think about the future? Well, Easter is a thing because people thought that it was a significant event. That weekend, the things that happen have significance for everybody, including us. A bit like Anzac Day. 25th of April 2015, Australian New Zealand troops stormed up the beaches of Gallipoli. Militarily, it was a disaster, a useless waste of thousands of lives. And yet, somehow, it means something to us. The spirit of Anzac... The the camaraderie, what was forged, the identity forged on the beaches, has become meaningful for us. And so we celebrate it. But my guess is you don't celebrate the 20th of October 1996. What happened that day? I stubbed my toe. Yeah, we don't celebrate. No public holidays. No even any sympathy from you that I can see. Because it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't have any significance. So the question is, what's so significant about a guy who was crucified in April 33 AD outside Jerusalem? After all, thousands of people were crucified by the Romans. Millions of people have been killed by others. Billions of people have died. Everyone who's ever born has either died or will die. What's so special about that weekend, about his death? Was the death of Jesus simply tragic? It was certainly a miscarriage of justice. Everybody agrees on that. Sometimes heroic deeds can be inspiring, but is there more to it than that? Well, here's a cartoon that expresses my understanding. I'm not going to explore this much more, but as you go out, you'll get a little bag, got some chocolate Easter eggs, and it's got a little pamphlet in it that you might like to read that'll explain more of a Christian understanding of the significance of the death of Jesus. But today I want to focus on the other half of that weekend, the second half, on the Friday afternoon, Jesus is dead. He's taken down from a cross. He's buried in a cave, in a tomb. 
Sunday morning, though, his friends go to visit the tomb to finish the job and the tomb's open. And there's no body there. It's empty. And through that day and through the next weeks, Jesus is seen by many of the people who knew him, who could recognise him. They saw him clearly, vibrantly and visibly alive. They touched him. There were women. There was Peter and the other disciples, his 11 close friends. At one point, more than 500 people at one time saw him alive again. Now, I don't know what your response to that is. In one sense, somebody coming back out of the grave is a bit unsettling. Certainly unexpected, isn't it? I've been to many funerals and there's not one funeral I've expected to see the person in the casket sitting on a seat in the congregation. It just doesn't happen, does it? So what is the significance if it really did happen? Because some events have huge significance, even though it takes a while to work it out. Now, maybe you decide at the last minute to go to that party and say you slip something on, say you're presentable, you drive there, and that night you meet the guy, you meet the girl, and suddenly that event becomes significant for you, it changes your life. 29th of June 2007. Anybody remember that day? That was the day the first iPhone went on sale. The first smartphone. That's only that's less than 12 years ago. You realise that? That's a very short period of history, isn't it? And yet that day has changed your life. I mean, every one of you, I think, probably, has got one of those phones in your pocket somewhere. You use it every day, you use it every hour, except when you're asleep, and even then you're dreaming about using it. <laughs> That day changed the world. It changed your life. You've experienced the significance. About three weeks ago, there was a news article about this woman called Jo Cameron. I don't know whether you saw it in passing. Scientists discovered with her that she's got a genetic mutation that helps block pain and improve healing. That is, she hardly feels any pain at all. And if something does happen to her, she gets a a cut or, or a wound, it heals much more quickly than most. And surprisingly, she experiences almost no anxiety. Now, that's for real. She lives in Scotland. Scientists discovered it's caused by a genetic mutation. Now, at the moment, I'm not quite sure what the significance of that discovery is. But my guess is it's going to have a huge significance going forward. Just don't know yet. And I read that and I thought, that could change the world. Well, that's really what happened that first Easter there was news of something that started to change the world. A dead person came back to life. Now, an obvious question about that is, did it really happen? Like, it's so unusual, are we sure it really happened? Now, that is a really huge question. I'm not going to try and answer it today, except to make two quick observations. Just looking at the passage from the Bible you've got in front of you, we know for a certainty, historically, that this was written as a public letter at most 20 years after Jesus was, uh, was crucified and died. Now, 20 years might seem a long time to you if you're 18, but if you're 60 like me, 20 years is, is nothing. I can remember things that happened 20 years ago, 40 years ago. And Paul writes and says, this happened, and there's lots of people around today who saw it. You want to check it out if you're not sure it happened? Just go and ask them, because they're still alive. And secondly, as you read that first paragraph there, do you see how open Paul is to considering other options? If if it didn't really happen, then these are the consequences. He treats it as something that could be falsified, but he knows from the evidence that it actually happened. I've been exploring whether you can trust this 
for over 40 years, I'm convinced that it is true. It really happened. And I hope you'll be convinced if you've got those questions. But my question today is, what's the significance of Jesus' resurrection? Because like Joe, I don't think the significance is immediately obvious. It's worth contemplating and thinking about. And this passage tells us something of the significance the early Christians came to realise. So pick it up in verse 20, the second paragraph. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. And he uses an image that everybody in that world would have been familiar with, the first fruits. Now, I don't know whether you realise this, but last weekend, the first fruits of this year's mandarin crop hit the shops. Last weekend was the first weekend you could buy a mandarin in Perth since about uh, September last year. They're the first fruits. Now, when you see the first lot of mandarins, that first bunch of them, well, crate of them, in your supermarket, your shop, you know something's coming, don't you? You know that if there's some there today, then for the next six months we'll have mandarins. Anybody like mandarins? Anybody else? Okay. The other thing about the first fruits is they tell you what the rest of the crop is going to be like. So if you just got one, can you open it and tell us what it tastes like? Please. That tastes sweet. That tastes sweet. You, you didn't try. You're a very trusting man. <laughs> What's it like, Tim? It's pretty good. Okay. So when you get the first fruits, you know that there's going to be a crop. They're just going to keep coming and coming, and you know what they're going to taste like. It's the prototype and the guarantee of the rest of the crop. And that's what Paul says is the significance of Jesus' resurrection. It's the first fruits of a, a movement. It's not just one bizarre, isolated adventure out of ancient history. It's the beginning of a cascade. How come? Well, he goes on to explain in verse 21 and 22. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam, the first human, all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. That is, it reverses death. Now, death has been on the march, you could say, since the beginning of history. And it's swept everything before it, hasn't it? It's sort of like those dominoes. You know where people set up dominoes, the the, the track around, 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 and you just press the first one over, and you know as soon as that one's over, every other domino's going to fall over. Well, death's like that. Once it starts, once it's got a hold in human uh, life, it just takes over. I live near Karakata Cemetery. This is a picture of Karakata Cemetery just up the the road here from UWA. And it's a place I actually quite enjoy going for a walk through because the headstones have interesting things on it. You you find the graves of people like Professor Murdoch after the Murdoch Lecture Theatre is named. A great place to be. But there's two things that strike me every time I walk through Karakata. The first is it is very full. You see that? it's, It's packed full. And the people who die now, there's not room to find graves for them. They've they've got to burn their bodies and just put little plaques there because they can't fit any more in. And it's just getting fuller every day. The second thing is it's final. It's called the final resting place because it is. The graves are just undisturbed. The, The people who've died stay in their graves. And Paul picks up what is true of our experience, that death is an enemy of us all, it's an enemy we can't defeat. 
It gets all of us without distinction, without exception. Uh, Sometimes I hear news bulletins that say something like this. The mortality rate amongst university-educated people has declined by 10%. And I'm not quite sure whether to laugh or cry. Because what's the mortality rate amongst university-educated people? 100%, isn't it? What's the mortality rate amongst uneducated people? It's 100%, isn't it? The World Health Organisation used to have a page on their website that says, said, we admit failure. Despite the billions of dollars spent every year on preventative programs and education programs, the mortality rate amongst humans remains stubbornly at 100%. And it's sort of laughable, but it's not, is it, in the end? Because that's you and me, that's my friends, that's my family, it's everyone who means anything to me. In the end... It robs us of everything worthwhile. It takes our family members, our grandparents, our siblings. It robs us of our friends. It robs us of our joy. It robs us of our hope, our dreams of a better world. Dylan Thomas, that pessimistic Irish poet, put it this way. He said, do not go gently into that good night. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Hear what he's saying? The the good night is is death. He says, don't don't go gently. Don't just let it take over you. But all you can do is rage. Death is not a welcome friend. It's always something to rage against. But do you feel his impotence? All he can do is rage and encourage you to rage against it, but your raging makes no difference. Rage all you like. It won't bring back your loved ones. Death is an enemy. That always wins. Some of us may not have felt that yet. Maybe it hasn't touched you and your life. But if it has, you will have raged and felt impotent like Dylan Thomas. When Jesus was crucified, it looked like he was just another victim of death. They took his body down from the cross and they put it in a cave, a grave. They sealed it up as if death had won. But two days later... He's back alive. Not simply resuscitated to die again of old age, but resurrected to eternal life. And what Paul is saying here is his resurrection is where death was defeated. Jesus didn't defeat death by somehow living a longer life, living to 100, 150, and still uh, dying in the end. No, he defeated death by dying and coming back out of death. Death couldn't hold him. If you like, he smashed a hole in the wall of death. Because death is like that. It's like this wall in front of us. We can't get around. All we can do is get to the other side by dying and then you can't come back. We don't know what's there. But Jesus went there and came back. So what's the significance of Easter, of the resurrection? It means there's a hope of a better world. And that hope isn't just wishful thinking. Without the resurrection of Jesus, hoping for a better world, hoping for something much better than now would just be delusional, I think. But Christians have a a certain optimism, a confidence about what's going to happen. The basis is Easter. Because if death has been defeated, then he says death will be destroyed. Verse 24, the end will come in the future when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign, he's already reigning over death, but he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. How? Well, not simply 
that one day people will stop dying. Because then death still wins, doesn't it? Because there's still a, 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 a cemetery full of people in Karakata and everyone else as well. No, he will defeat death. He'll destroy death by resurrection. This is what Jesus himself said. A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear my voice and come out. Those who've done good to rise to life. Those who've done evil to rise to be condemned. Death will lose all its victims by resurrection. Now, that's a pretty unusual thing to believe. A few years ago, we did a survey at UWA of what people thought about life after death. We gave them these options. You cease to exist, you're reincarnated, your soul goes on forever, your body's resurrected. Guess which one was most popular? Here's the results. C, by a long way. Like a bar graph, there it is. C, by a long way. That is, most people think that if there is any afterlife, and most of us hope there is something after death, it's your soul goes on as the immortality of the soul. But what sort of life is that? Well, I guess it's easy to believe because it means God doesn't have to do anything. It's just sort of natural. You just go on into another form of existence. But most don't know that the real hope, the hope that Jesus promises, is resurrection. Only 3% said that that's what they thought would happen. Only 3% of all the students at UWA thought that that was even a realistic option. But God has done something extraordinary. He raised Jesus from death, which means one day you'll be raised and your Uncle Bill will be raised and Einstein will be raised and everybody. And those who trusted Jesus will live in a new creation and those who continue to rebel against Jesus will be condemned. And that will be a real physical resurrection. Real bodies like Jesus had. See, most people think that the best you can hope for is going to heaven when you die. But that's a pretty hopeless hope. The hope Jesus gives is much bigger, much better than that. He's not just an immortal soul floating around, drifting through the clouds, because if that's true, then death is one. He's robbed you of something essential to your life, because what are we as humans? Well, actually, physicality is part of our mode of being. How do you express yourself? How do you live? You live physically, don't you? What about your relationships? You speak with your hands, don't you? I do. I can't help but move my hands around. Our body language is part of our communication. We hug each other. We do high fives. We, we express ourselves physically. We are physical beings. To be robbed of our physicality is not real life. But Easter gives us the hope of resurrected bodies in a new creation. The environment resurrected. See, God isn't planning to discard this wonderful creation, dump it and replace it with something else. He's going to renovate it. So it works how it should work. Is that what you want? Eternal life that is real, that's physical and tangible. In a new world that works properly. I think for many of us, we don't dare hope for something like that. It's... It, it, It's an empty utopian dream, isn't it, that that could ever happen? And if it was left to our efforts, you're right, it could never happen. We're impotent. All we can do is rage against failure and death. And other people can't give it to you. Scott Morrison or Bill Shorten, (laughs) they will promise you heaps, but they won't even try and promise this, will they? They don't dare. They know that is miles beyond their capacity. Muhammad can't give it to you. He's in his grave. So is the Buddha. Ed Sheeran, Tay-Tay, Josh Kennedy. They're mortals just like you. They can't do it. 
But Jesus, he came back from the dead. His grave was empty. He promises resurrection. He guarantees that his resurrection was just the first fruits. Easter this week. A time to meditate on the significance of that first Easter, the Friday when Jesus dies, and the Sunday when the women go to the tomb to finish the burial. That's what they expected to do. Because when somebody's dead, that's the end, isn't it? They stay dead. But they found an empty grave and they met an alive Jesus. It's a staggering event. This is what Paul says a bit later in his life. He says, Christ Jesus has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. Do you know that? I suspect almost no one on this campus knows that. That immortality is what Jesus promises you and me. It creates in my imagination an image of my own grave with the gravestone. Timothy Thorburn, I don't know what to put in as the death date, but I'll be buried there one day, probably. But one day, I will dance on the grave top. One day, I'll look at that headstone and say, death, you lose, because Jesus danced on his grave. 